This week on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you how to build a proper cocktail that will impress your friends, please a crowd, and seduce potential mates. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak rich kai what's going on good morning sir and happy birthday fellow marine oh thanks man kai good morning thanks for having me again so what's going on you guys what what's up what's everybody up to Ladies first, Kai. Oh, all right. Um, I don't know. Well, um, I think the big news on our end is that uh, we just booked some uh, tickets to Iceland and Ireland for for, um, the new year. And um, not much planning beyond that. I think it was sort of one of those things where tickets first and if you build it, they will come. We'll figure out the rest. So um, pretty excited about that. Oh, man, I love that. Hashtag jealous AF. Love it. Yeah, man. Like I talked to you, and you got some other stuff going on this year, and uh, like we weren't able to make this one uh, this one work out. But maybe later next year, or maybe in twenty twenty, we'll uh, we'll put some kind of joint trip together, man. Because, dude, this is all I've been thinking about since we booked these damn tickets, and it's kind of a spur of the moment. Hey, let's go to Ireland next year, and we discovered on Iceland Air if you fly Iceland Air. They'll let you if you book through them. They'll let you stop over in Iceland for I don't know up to a certain number of days. Uh, so we decided to take our chance and see if we could see the Northern Lights and check out a few of the things there as well. Yeah, a good friend of mine was the CFO for I think it was like a German uh, uh, company that make uh, like instruments and stuff like that, <clears throat> and he flew Iceland Air back and forth all the time and he was telling me about those layovers that you get to do and how they'd go golfing in the middle of the night because the sun was still up and just absolutely loved iceland he very excited for you guys have you ever been to iceland no well i've landed there and refueled but never been and got to hang out right i've uh i've talked to a surprising number of people that are like oh yeah i've been to iceland i took my family and we did a whole trip around the ring road or whatever and i've never obviously never well i guess it's not obvious i've never been to iceland so i'm just as excited about that as I am about Ireland. Yeah, I, I want to. I haven't been to Ireland or Iceland, and I think that what you're doing is pretty rad. We are going to go to Europe. Um, I don't know if it'll be later, toward the end of this year, the first of next year. But we've got some friends that are stationed in Naples, so I figure we'll probably uh, f- just me and uh, Miss Lisa fly over there and hang out for a week, and maybe hit Rome, Pompeii. I'll take some pictures for you, Justin, because I know that's a place you want to go. Yeah, for sure. Down, down to the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, Pompeii is definitely way, way up there on that list. So an, another little wrinkle to our uh, Iceland trip, uh, booking directly through Iceland Air, you can you can pay for your bags up front and all that, and, they, and you are limited on the bags you can take by the class of travel that you book. So we've decided to do this whole like, 10-day or so trip. We're also going to... Um, we chose to fly out to Boston and stop there for a few days. Kai's never really spent any significant time in Boston. So we're doing this whole like 10 day trip on nothing but our EDC bags, man. Oh, that is ATPAF, bro. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Just like a change of clothes, a toiletries bag and man, just bouncing around wherever we want to go. So, yeah. And I, I had a coworker that I was telling about, I was telling her about um, what our plan was and, she made a good point. Like, if we get to both of these places, are are fairly well populated and and <laughs> very modern. So it's like if you get there and you don't have what you need, you just you get it, you buy it. So um, it's not like we're going to be isolated. And um, so I, I feel pretty confident that we'll be able to have a good time with that. Yeah, I I agree, and I I love that philosophy. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Rich, but. When I used to work, just uh, I did a lot of contract jobs as like surveillance operator, surveillance role player, or instructor here and there, or whatever. And this one series of contracts I was on, it, it, they would book me for like two weeks to come out to Utah or whatever. 
And there was one guy that would always come out there with literally nothing but a, you know, a little tiny laptop bag. And he'd be like, yeah, man, I just find a thrift store everywhere I go. If I need a change of clothes, I just go buy a new change of clothes at the thrift store. I don't like no sense carrying a bunch of bags around. And when I leave, I'll drop this stuff back off. I know. I hadn't heard that. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> That's definitely a, a way to travel. I've never been brave enough to do that. but <laughs> It's a little more ATP than <laughs> <laughs> willing to get. Yeah. yeah. I did Agreed. that when I ran the marathon, man. It was so cold that uh we bought some clothes at the thrift store and then as we warmed up, we just started throwing the clothes on the side of the road, man. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I I mean, I had a, like a dollar and a little cheap fleece and a, a you know, a buck or two and a pair of pants and threw them on the ground. They told the runners like, "Don't worry, we're going to collect all this stuff up and give it to the homeless." So I'm like, "Hey, right on." Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So did, tickets out of out of Phoenix, man. Um, were they expensive going to Iceland and Ireland? Or well, so we so book? we booked separately. We like it's one trip to get up to Boston, and so basically we booked our Iceland Air stuff from Boston to Iceland, and then from Iceland to from Reykjavik to Dublin, and then back that route, and then so we'll get back and then have to like change everything over and then head back home. Right on. So what are we talking about today, man? Well, today we're going to talk about cocktails, man. Uh, I'm a big fan of cocktails. Um, have been for a long time. I don't drink one every day. I don't drink one every week or, hell, probably even every month. We've got a few bottles on the bar here, and most of the bottles sitting on our bar, with the exception of the bourbon, have been there for, I don't know, probably three, four, five, in some cases six, eight, nine months. Um, we don't go through a ton of liquor, but... We do like a good cocktail, and, and that's the difference, man, a good cocktail. Speaking of cocktails, what are you drinking? Oh, crap. We didn't even talk about what we're drinking, did we? No. All right. Well, uh, today, we're not having a cocktail right now. We're having <laughs> beer right now. Uh, we're getting ready to go to uh, a barbecue, like a, a our friend's cooking a whole pig, and that's going to be ready here in a little bit. We're headed over there. I'm having a, an autumn IPA from Peak Brewing. I've talked about Peak before, uh, I think on one of the earlier episodes, Kai and I were drinking uh, their Coconut Lime Kolsch, but uh, this Peak Autumn IPA, man, it is hitting the spot all over the place right now, man. It's we, we went out to walk the dogs this morning, leaves are off the trees, the wind's blowing, blowing leaves around, it's, it's that time of year, man. Yeah, that sounds good. Kai, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking an Avalanche from Breckenridge Brewery. Um, I'm a big fan of the Breck Brewery, and I, I usually... Um, make a pilgrimage out there at least once a year. And um, the Avalanche is an amber ale, but it's 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 got a malty base, and that's sort of my go-to. I'm, I'm a malty, um, I'm a big fan of the malts. So, um, so it's a nice round, um, it's kind of like a um, comfort blanket. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's uh, Breck Avalanche, that's what, Breckenridge, Colorado? Yep, yeah. I love Breckenridge and Keystone and that whole area, man, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. And the Breckenridge Brewery, um, it, it's a great place to visit, but they've got a lot of good, I mean, we've talked about their vanilla porter before, Um They've got a lot of really good beer, and we've uh, also got some Breckenridge Christmas in the. Is it Christmas Ooh, in yeah, the fridge? And yeah. that's a that's a real good beer, but it's a seven percenter. So yeah, it sneaks up on I'll you. I bet. <laughs> Speaking of beers, man, um, a good friend of mine wrote in that he's listening to the show, and he read the book that I believe I don't know if it was you or I recommended before dawn. Said he loved it, but he also said that he tried the Death by Coconut that you'd recommended. Justin said it was really good. However, when his wife saw the cans in the fridge, she commented, coconut beer, I may have to take away your man card. And that's my good friend Bob wrote in that. So uh, you you want to defend death by coconut to Bob's wife, man? Man, Bob's wife can take a sip. sip. <laughs> it is a manly-ass beer, dude. There is there is nothing non-manly about death by coconut, man. I've had it, and I, I will agree with you, sir. Uh, and, it, and, yeah, if it were like... You know, fruity peach flavored, whatever. Yeah, I, I or lady beer, which is what I call cider, or you know, I would totally agree, man. But man, there's nothing that's not manly about Death by Coconut. Right on. Would, would you agree, Kai? Yeah, yeah. It's no, like, I agree too, man. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll defend that one to death. Uh, Rich, what are you drinking? And hell, for that matter, what did you do this week? Well, I'm drinking Knob Creek and. Uh, for our 30th wedding anniversary, my wife and I did the bourbon trail, which, uh, is, is an ATPAF experience in itself. 
I highly recommend that if you're a bourbon drinker. But uh, we got to make a bottle of the single barrel Knob Creek. And uh, they have a little cool thing where you can have it engraved and everything if you build this bottle yourself. So I'm not drinking that. I'm drinking a, just a regular bottle of the Knob Creek. Um, and this week, man, we went to, uh, I did a couple rounds of jiu-jitsu with my uh, host on the other show, uh, American Warrior Society. We did a 30-minute roll, trained with Christian Dare, who's a John Chuck Machado black belt, trained with my buddy Cody, another black belt. And then we went over to the Tulsa Police Department's uh, defensive tactics instructors and we beat the shit out of each other for an hour and a half, punched each other in the face, uh, leg locked each other, and did some fun stuff. And so I've been ATPAF, pal. Nice, man. Nice. That sounds like a good week, dude. What about you? Uh, well, we uh, we had pretty much just planned to talk about booking our, our uh, travel. Um, other than that, man, the usual things. Uh, worked out a couple of times. Did the vehicle PMs. We got up this morning and made some... Man cooked a whole pack of bacon and some grits and eggs and uh, I don't know. I think I think booking our travels the big thing we're talking about this week though. Hey, so one one final thing, you know, <clears throat> I don't do this enough, uh, and that is so I did my weekly range session Wednesday morning with my training partners, and um, I decided okay, I'm gonna I need to get my normal carry pistol out and actually shoot it. And when I did, my friends like okay, we're gonna shoot the fast test. You know, we're gonna I'm like, oh, crap, you know, let me put my competition rig back on. And I'm like, you know what? No, if I can't shoot the fast test and pass it with my carry gun, then I should be carrying something else. So I did shot it. It did extremely well. So those of you that do carry and listen to the show, uh, I would encourage you to do that uh, from time to time. Take that carry pistol out and and run it as hard as you can and see what you can do. Yeah, man, my carry gun's the gun I take to the range nine out of ten times, man. I... uh like it's definitely fun to shoot a bigger gun and like mess around with other stuff, but yeah, you should be like if you're carrying that little Ruger LCP. I know it's not fun to shoot, but it, it's also hard to shoot, and you need to be putting the the time in on it. Yeah, this was a, a Glock 26 is what I've been carrying lately. You know, normally it's the 19, but so even with that little 26, man, I was I was pretty impressed that it could uh, shoot the fast test, which is a pretty hard test, but. Maybe I'll do a blog post on that test sometime. Yeah, I'd love to see it, man. And uh, also, a blog post should be coming out pretty soon on my new carry uh, gun. It arrived this week. I have not had a chance to uh, go pick it up for my FFL for some... I've been out of town a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to quite ready to let the cat out of the bag on what that is yet, though. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. All right, man. So let's get into talking about uh, talking about cocktails. Kai, what are your thoughts on cocktails? Well, like you said, it's not something that we um, partake in on the regular, but when we do, I, I really enjoy, um, it, it's one of those drinks that you have to savor. It's one of those drinks that you, you're not pounding it. So it's it's a nightcap. It's um, sort of something we take to sort of, you know, scale back and, and sort of decompress from the day. So I'm, I'm a big fan when we do have them. Um, and it's it, like for us uh, around the house, it's almost like you can turn any night into a special occasion with a really nice drink. Yeah, totally agree, man. Uh, it, like you said, it's I think you're absolutely spot on. It's not something I do every time, but when I do, it's almost like a punctuation mark at the end of a sentence. You know, it's just a really nice. Y- yeah, and thing to and do. like sometimes we like to joke at how grown up we feel when we. <laughs> When we make cocktails, because we're, you know, like usually during the week, we're not drinking. And usually on the weekend, if we are drinking, it's beer. But uh, it it definitely, you know, like kind of like dressing for the job you want. You know, it, it definitely makes you feel a little bit different when you're holding that really nice drink. Yeah. And it's a thoughtful drink. I think, um, you know, there's some recipe and we'll get into this, but there's some recipe involved. There's some balance involved. So it's it's something you take your time making and it's something you take your time drinking. Yeah, and in that regard, I mean, if you do have people coming over and you you uh, you know you really want to impress or whatever, I think it's probably a pretty cool skill to have to know how to mix up one or two of the cocktails that we're going to talk about today. Absolutely, yeah. And I, um, you know, I think on our second date, uh, Justin made me a um, an old fashioned, and I was a smitten kitten. So, <laughs> <laughs> smitten kitten. I hadn't heard that like that. <laughs> yeah, man. I like. Um, 
Yeah, like Kai's saying, and you're saying too, it is a thoughtful drink. It is a very refined pleasure. It is kind of meant to be savored, and it is very impressive. And I think that's one of the the key things from this. A, a well-built cocktail can help you impress a potential mate. And I'm not talking about like trying to get somebody drunk or something, but can, it, it, it's an impressive skill to be able to take these raw ingredients, put them together, balance them well, Maybe not perfectly, but balance them well enough that, um, in, and we'll talk about balance being like kind of a key principle of building a cocktail, that you've created this thing that is balanced and delicate and beautiful and flavorful. And uh, it, it sounds a little silly, sounds a little woo-woo, and I've never been a bartender. And, um, well, I, I have, but that was many, many years ago and it was in a beer bar. But um, there, it, it's almost an art form, man. Yeah, I agree. And I've never been a bartender either, although I worked in bars for years. It was on the other side of the bar. Um, but yeah, I saw a lot of drunk people and I saw a lot of cocktails being made. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so uh, I, I, I would say for entertaining company, being able to turn out a cocktail that is delicious, that is massively more than the sum of its parts, that final cocktail is is just almost unimaginable how you could squeeze those flavors and blend those flavors to get that end result out of those really basic, simple ingredients. Being able to, I think Kai would agree with me here, create something that matches the weather. Absolutely, yeah. There's something to be said for um, weather-appropriate food, and there's something to be said for weather-appropriate drink. And, um, uh, you know, especially when the in the colder months, it's making a drink that sort of warms the inside as much as it does, you know, as much as it's pleasing to the mouth, it's it's sort of a whole experience. You know, that's funny you say that. My wife is the same way. You can't, I cannot get her to make a pot of chili in the summer. Uh, but, you know, when the winter comes, she wants to make it almost every single night. You know, so she's very into that. Like, she's not going to drink a PSL any other time but in the fall. You know, she gets excited all year waiting for that day that she can actually start drinking those pumpkin spice lattes. But, that's an interesting point. I think that most people feel that way, and I'm glad you brought that up, Kai. So there are some really uh, I didn't ever thought about it with regard to cocktails, but so there's some seasonal varietal cocktails. I understand. Yeah. So like I, in the summertime, we got real, real into making daiquiris this summer, which like most people probably think a daiquiri and they picture that red swirly machine at the at their local Mexican restaurant or whatever. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, uh, yeah, man, a, a daiquiri is a real light, citrusy, sweet, just really, really light, cold drink. And then something like an old fashioned, which I actually wrote an article several weeks ago on the blog about and posted a bunch of pictures, uh, instead of using simple syrup in our old fashioned lately, we've been using maple syrup as the sweetener in there. I've got this gallon jug of Vermont maple syrup. And we that thing's starting to dwindle real quick once we discovered, hey, man, if you put this into an old-fashioned instead of simple syrup, it creates like this much just darker, massively more complex cocktail that tastes really good on a cold night. And and uh, I think that's a excellent place to mention that. Our Instagram account, if you want to like us and follow us on Instagram, man, we'd love to have you. And I believe we have uh, some photos of making the uh, the old-fashioned. Is that correct? We sure do. And uh, hat tip to Kai here, uh, who is our social media manager, our <laughs> our communication manager. Uh, she's been uh, she's been managing all that, and that's been up for several weeks now. Uh, but yeah, if, uh, there's definitely some pictures of that whole process that Kai took the time to put up for us. Yeah, and we had to do all of the taste testing, so we you know we put a lot of hard work into <laughs> into the behind the scenes of that photo shoot. So. I think it shows. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm telling you, that Instagram account, I'm glad we finally got it up and running. Kai, you're crushing it. So uh, guys and gals, if you're out there listening, check it out. You won't uh, you won't regret it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's, uh, that's, in my opinion, why you should know how to make a cocktail. To be, and, you know, the, the cocktails that I really like to be able to make and have on hand are things that I can have all these ingredients and they last for, they're not like perishable ingredients. Um you know, I, I don't want something with a bunch of ingredients that I got to replace every week. I like having this on hand. So if somebody just pops over out of the blue, I have the stuff. 
you know, I've got a couple of meals like that too, that I'd like to have the things on hand to be able to cook X, Y, or Z meal if company shows up unannounced or uninvited or spur of the moment or last minute. And it's the same thing with a cocktail, man. I like being able to have these ingredients on hand. So if someone comes over, I've got two or three real simple, real easy drinks, or we do, that we can be like, hey, would you like A, B, or C? These are the house cocktails, uh, and we can always whip one of those out. And I'd say it's surprising. I think it's surprising to people when you offer them a cocktail. And I think more often than not, when we have company over and we say, well, we've got these beers, or we could make you an old-fashioned, or we can make you a mojito, people are like, oh, hey, I'll have a mojito. You know, it. I, I think people don't, it's not front of mind. So they're usually um, impressed right off the bat with just the offer. Uh, excellent point. Let's talk just a little bit about the history of the cocktail, man. And I struggled a little bit this week. There's probably half a dozen books I want to recommend as the book of the week, but uh, there's some awesome books out there about the history of the cocktail, history of specific cocktails, specific liquors. Uh, one book that I would really recommend that uh, the listeners check out for this is called And a Bottle of Rum, A History of the World in Six Glasses. And they go through some of the classic rum drinks like, you know, the Cuba Libre, which is rum and coke, the daiquiri, the so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, one thing they talk about there is that uh, we'll get to this and we'll get to this in a minute. But uh, Paul Revere on his famous ride stopped into uh, someone's house and had a drink. And pretty much that was a very, very early cocktail, some sort of rum or, or believed to be some sort of rum uh, punch that that Paul Revere stopped in and drank. But uh, anyway, th- uh, the term cocktail very old word. It first appeared in print that we know of in a British newspaper all the way back in March of 1798. Holy cow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's a really, really old word. And generally speaking, uh, back in that time, and and cocktails were immensely popular in the, colon- in the colonies for any number of reasons. Uh, like we talked about on the coffee episode, people like beer and wine because it purified the water. People like coffee because boiling that water purified the water. Uh, Cocktails became popular because adding stuff to your drink didn't purify the alcohol, but it sure made it taste a heck of a lot better at a time when maybe alcohol production wasn't uh, wasn't as popular as it, or or as as refined a process as maybe it is now. Yeah, I think that's the thing, the the consistency, you know, that's where the whole bottled and bond comes from, you know, the... the, um, People were making the bathtub gin and some of this other stuff, and it was causing some serious health effects to people because there was no, no, no regulated process for what what was alcohol and what wasn't. So they started doing the the uh, ATF, I think it was, created the bottled and bond, and we can talk about that on another show. But yeah, man. So uh, if you could have a, I guess if you could make a cocktail, number one, you'd be pretty rad, and and two, you'd make something that was relatively consistent. I would imagine. Yeah, and and consistency, I I didn't have that on my list of of principles that we're going to talk about when we get into how to make a cocktail. That's incredibly important, man. Refining your recipe and proportions and all that stuff down to and being able to reproduce that consistently because you don't want to be the person that can uh, make a cocktail that's real, real good tonight. And then tomorrow night, you got to make it and it's completely different. True. So, um, yeah, uh, cocktails became hugely popular in the colonies. And rum, like we think of bourbon as the American drink. But in the 17 and 1800s, and uh, maybe even the early 1900s, rum really was the liquor of the colonies because there was basically this trade triangle between New England, um, uh, between New England, Western, uh, uh, the West Coast of Africa, the Caribbean, and then the southern United States, where basically it was, you know, basically go pick up slaves in Africa, take them to take them to the Caribbean and the southern United States. And on that return voyage up the coast, take all that molasses back to make rum, specifically in New England. New England, like Medford style rum, still a particular style of rum that's made in New England. And you know, I don't know if you know this, Rich, but molasses is a byproduct of refining sugar out of sugar cane. Uh, and for years, we were just dumping millions and millions of tons of molasses into the ocean because nobody knew what the hell to do with it until somebody figured out, like, hey, we could uh, put a little bit of yeast in here, a little bit of water, and then distill this and make rum. Oh, no, I had no idea. So, huh. yeah, rum, <laughs> rum hasn't actually been around all that long, but... Uh, it, like relative to some of the some of the other spirits, but 
Um, man, it was it was the drink of the American colonies for a long, long time. Sweet, man. I'm a big fan myself, so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then we get into Prohibition, and this is where cocktails really experience. And there's several historic periods where cocktails have really had these huge resurgences. And Prohibition, like you alluded to earlier, was a big one because everybody's making bathtub gin and moonshine and, and whatever. And, you know, it, it might be good. It might be safe to drink, but it's probably not the best tasting thing you've ever put in your mouth. So uh, you had this massive cocktail movement of, of adding stuff to the substandard liquor basically to make it palatable. So after Prohibition, probably the next big cocktail craze that came along was in the uh, like 50s and 60s with the uh, the tiki craze, uh, which like Trader Vic's and uh, Beachcomber and like some of these chains chains popped up and and uh, man they, uh, this tiki cocktail craze just took off like wildfire in America and then probably the next big cocktail like renaissance of cocktails we saw like started probably in the early 2000s, kind of going on today with these craft bartenders and craft cocktails. And um, I really enjoy that. I really appreciate that because it's much easier to get a really, really well-built cocktail now than it used to be. But um, I, let me, I, I'm not going to lie, man. I like uh, someone that appreciates their craft, but I was in a cocktail bar not too long ago in San Diego. They buy these massive blocks of ice, and every single drink, they chip you an ice cube out of this huge block of ice, and the bartender's just so damn snooty about what he's doing, and, and uh, it's like, all right, man, I, I know you're an artist, I know you're perfecting your craft here, but you can, you can still be friendly, because that is one of the, in my opinion, one of the characteristics of a competent bartender is, is being able to carry on a conversation, right? Yeah, I totally agree, man. Kyle, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a service industry, so <laughs> part of that service is, is, you know, making a customer feel welcome and, and delivering the product in a, in a friendly way. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a balance to be struck there. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I didn't, I didn't know the tiki bar thing went back into the 50s, but it kind of makes sense when you had the beach blanket bingo and, and surfing was, you know, just kind of coming, of, coming uh, on its own. And my favorite probably little tiki or cocktail bar, I'll give it a shout-out to it right now, is uh, on Hilton Head Island. I haven't been there in years, but... Anytime I would go down there, there's a there's a little tiki bar that's pretty pretty cool place and check it out. Man, my, uh, my favorite tiki bar is in San Diego. It's the same bar that I'm talking about, and I, man, I can't think of the name of this place to save my life. But it's an amazing cocktail bar. They've got all this. It's it's even though it's very open in the summertime, they'll open up basically all the walls and it's exposed. But the interior of it is classic checkerboard tile floor, really really dark wood, and all these. Uh, all this taxidermy game, they have like several lions taxidermied in there and that sort of thing. And they kind of specialize in like classic cocktails, bourbon, whiskey, scotch cocktails, that sort of thing. They have, uh, you know, like really super high end steak tartare and, you know, that sort of stuff. But in the back, uh, you, and you have to know like the way to get there, they have a tiki bar that serves tiki drinks and lighter fare and stuff like that. And it is a, it's a really neat place. I'll try to find the name of that place and get it in the show notes. Is it on Coronado Island? No, it's, uh, it's, I feel like it's right across, right down the street from the Hampton Inn, uh, maybe on Harbor Drive. Is that near the gas, gas lamp district? No, it's, um, it's right on the edge of Little Italy. Love San Diego guys and gals. If you haven't been, get, get your ass out there. It's a good time. Anyway, we, anyway, we can move on, Rich. It's here or there. I'll, I'll try to find the name of that and get that in the show notes. But uh, that's a little bit of the history of the cocktail. That's Let me ask you this. What What is the damn difference between a cocktail and a mixed drink? Because we were talking about this before the show, and I have no idea, man. Okay. So the difference between a cocktail and a mixed drink is, and this was kind of defined in 1806 in the Balance and Columbian Repository as quote, a stimulating liquor composed of any kind of sugar, water, and bitters. And the term is used a little bit loosely here. Sugar, they could mean actual sugar, a sugar cube, simple syrup. Uh, By water, they mean actual water or fruit juice or something along that line. And then the differentiator here is bitters. And bitters, are you familiar with bitters, Rich? 
Um, I, I know what they are because I've, I've bought them, but I don't know what the hell is, is in that bottle of bitters. What is that? Do you know? So bitters is usually some sort of liqueur with all these botanicals uh, in it, all, um, some sort of essence of all these various plants or whatever. And there's, they're called aromatic bitters typically, and they're, they have a very strong flavor. Frequently, it's very bitter. But it provides kind of a backbone for that drink and ties these disparate ingredients together. And that was the definition of a cocktail in 1806 is a drink that has uh, liquor, uh, some sort of sugar, sweetener, uh, and then bitters in it. And I think uh, in modern terminology, we generally refer to a cocktail as a drink that has three ingredients or at least three one of which contains alcohol. And generally, those categories of ingredients that we might have are the spirit itself, be it rum, bourbon, vodka, tequila, whatever, a sweet element, a sour element, and bitters themselves. And, uh, I mean, we could could almost do a whole show on bitters. Well, I would have to do a lot of research. I don't know that much about bitters. But I know bitters is definitely in a resurgence right now. There's like... Man, you can find like 50 different kinds of bitters, orange bitters, lemon bitters, almond bitters. And uh, basically, if you've got uh, one or two bottles of bitters, Angostura bitters is the first one I'd recommend that you go buy. You buy that on Amazon. That's what we use in our old fashions. Hell, that's what we use in pretty much anything that calls for bitters. And maybe a thing of orange bitters and Peychaud's bitters. If you've got those, you're you're pretty much covered for everything that you're reasonably going to make. But there's, like I say, there's 50 other kinds of bitters out there. So that's a cocktail. A mixed drink is basically a distilled spirit like rum or bourbon or whatever with some with one mixer like lime juice or soda, uh, fruit juice or soda or something like that. And maybe there's a lime wedge in there for garnish, but that's essentially the difference. So rum and Coke, uh, bourbon and Coke, those are... Mixed drinks, right? Yeah. What about a cosmopolitan kind of thing? I guess that'd be a mixed drink, right? What's in a What's in a cosmopolitan? Because I, I don't think there's bitters in there. I, th- I think the differentiator that I'll always consider is the the addition of bitters. It seems like that's the that's well, a, not, that's a good dividing line. Yeah, right? I'm not sure, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, but I'm not sure that bitters is a requirement. I think it's just one of the the listing of ingredients, and then from that list, there needs to be at least three of those ingredients, and and I think that's what makes it a little more complex than, um, than just a um, a mixed drink. Where if you're making like a, a Cuba Libre, like a um, rum and coke, it's just the rum and it's just the coke. Whereas with a um, with a, a cocktail, the complexity is coming from the inclusion of three or more ingredients. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, the modern definition of a cocktail is an alcoholic drink with three or more ingredients. And and just coming from one of those categories, a spirit, a sweet, a sour, a bitters, and and probably there's a couple other categories that I'm not thinking of. But, yeah, like, the the Cosmopolitan cocktail has vodka, Cointreau, which is basically triple sec, lime juice, and cranberry juice. So, uh, those like three different categories of ingredients. Does that make sense? And, yeah, and it is a it is a cocktail, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it also depends where you're getting it. And I think we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about ingredients. But, you know, you think about a margarita, and a lot of times it's when you go to a restaurant, it's like the mix and then the alcohol. But if you make a fresh one, it's it's not it's it's much more complex than that or or almost more simple than that because it's not this store-bought mix and i almost feel like depending on where you go to get it the way that they make it can make it a mixed drink i feel like if you go to a, a mexican restaurant and get a, a margarita it it's almost a mixed drink because it's just that bottled junk and then mm. the tequila yeah yeah or I'm sure you've probably seen on your on your grocery store shelf like the whiskey sour mix or oh yeah what else and man that these drinks could not be easier to make I don't know why you would go buy that crap yeah I don't need I don't either I, and I mean yeah. I, and I know you don't but I don't know why people yeah. would I, I don't know man because my wife is the same way you know she she she's going to make it at home or she's going to demand that it, it, she's not going to settle for a bunch of slush coming out of a a machine that mm-hmm. ain't going to cut it and and I, like I think that's a good just a good rule of thumb for life, man. If there's a big shortcut to it, like, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to free 
squeeze fresh fruit juice, but the shortcut is to buy this bottle at the store. Probably uh, you're going to get a better result making it the the old-fashioned way or the hard way or the raw ingredient way, mm-hmm. no matter what it is, a drink, a recipe, whatever, right? Well, that's kind of what the show's about. You know, it's kind of the, I don't want to get too Robert Frost on everybody, but this is kind of the road less traveled kind of podcast. So, yeah, I'm glad we're talking about cocktails in that context as well. So how do we make one? Got me all fired up, man. What are we doing here? (laughs) Well, um, so I've got, like, we're going to talk about a handful of our favorite cocktails because I've kind of picked two or three that are good examples of kind of these principles. And first of all, no matter what drink you're making, I think you need to back to what you said, and this word appears nowhere in the show notes until you said it. I'm so glad you said this, but consistency, and that's going to come from like finding a recipe that suits your palate and, and keeping those ingredients in balance and being able to make that reliably and repeatable. So balance and ratio is a huge percentage of this, and making a cocktail that tastes good is all about having your your ratios correct and all your ingredients in balance. And our example that we came up with for this one is the mojito. There's, there are a ton of ways to make a bad mojito. There's a ton of different ways you can screw this thing up. And it all has to do with keeping these basically four ingredients in, in a good balance. Kai, do you want to talk about that? Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's going to sound a little bit nerdy to say this, but um, when we make a cocktail, we're not like Tom Cruise throwing bottles around and splashing things in and out. We we measure things, and that goes a long way to making the same drink over and over again. So, um, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it, it takes a little extra time to measure things out, but it's well worth it in the end. Kai, you got that piece of eye candy over there. You don't have Justin flipping bottles around and stuff. What's going on? I mean, sometimes <laughs> I ask him to, but... <laughs> Just for the flash. Uh, I think, I think, I'll tell you, I think you're missing out. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so back to the mojito. A, a mojito basically uh, consists of rum. It consists uh, consists of rum, sugar, be that sugar or simple syrup, lime juice, and soda, club soda, basically just carbonated water, and then some mint leaves in there. And there's other things you could, you know, you could put blueberries in there and have like a blueberry tinge mojito. But if any of these things are out of balance, I've had mojitos that are just way too limey. They just taste like a citrus drink. I've had mojitos that are way too sweet and syrupy tasting and just cloying. Uh, you can get them too strong or you can get them too watered down with too much of that club soda. So uh, you really have to build this thing in balance. And it, man, let me tell you, Rich, if you get a mojito where everything is in perfect balance, dude, there's almost nothing better than that in my book. Oh, yeah. That's another good example of what Kai, I think, was talking about. You know, a mojito, maybe in, in, we're in the, recording this in the fall 2018. So I've had mojitos in the spring, man, that just or on a summer day that are just amazing. So I think this maybe is a good example of the seasonal cocktail, right? Absolutely. On a hot day, it just kind of carries you away and refreshes you so absolutely that's that's definitely one of those seasonal ones where there's appropriate days to have a mojito for sure (laughs) yeah and we haven't made one uh when we have people in the over in the summer we'll usually make a pitcher of mojitos and i don't know why man but i get a perverse pleasure out of making uh drinks that call for liquor in like cup and a half increments (laughs) (laughs) now the uh, the uh Mojito, you know, one of the things I'd say on it is that when you put in the, um, what is it, the, the leafy substance that normally is I've seen in mojitos? Uh, mint, mint leaves. Okay, yeah. You got you to gotta tell your friend, though, if they got a mouthful of, uh, they got mint leaves all over their <laughs> teeth. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the mint leaves here in a little bit uh, in, my, in my fourth uh, principle down here when we get down to using the right process to put this drink together but that's balance you want to have all your ingredients in a good balance you don't want any one ingredient coming to the forefront and typically and just overwhelming the palate you want these things in balance and that's not always the case sometimes your ingredients are basically going to be to highlight you know to highlight that bourbon or bring out a specific aspect of it or something like that but generally with cocktail it's all about having everything in the right balance man yeah, that's a good recipe for life, too. So what's the next one? Well, we, we've already kind of touched on this one, but that's simple, clean ingredients. Uh, you know, back to 
back to purchasing cocktails out of a bottle, uh, I feel like the daiquiri is an excellent, excellent example of a cocktail that's, that's supposed to be made with simple, clean ingredients. And man, that just doesn't happen. Um, I mean, again, people think daiquiri and they think that red slushy machine at a Sandals resort where the guy just pulls the lever and fills your cup up and throws a straw in it, and that's a daiquiri. But uh, I think uh, I think Kai would disagree with, with that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even realize that wasn't the way that they were supposed to be made until you told me that this summer. And then I put a lot of miles on <laughs> just a fresh, a fresh daiquiri. And I think the most striking difference is that what you know what you're getting when you get one of those slushy daiquiris or a daiquiri at a, a restaurant is a lot of sugar and you almost feel that more than you feel the alcohol and you know it can dehydrate and it it just it's not a great experience but um when you're mixing just the rum and lime juice and simple syrup together it's it's fresh it's refreshing you can appreciate the alcohol but again it's the balance and the freshness of that drink that makes it um, just divine. It's great. And the and the daiquiri is an example of the classic sour cocktail. And there's there's definitely other variations on this theme of a sweet ingredient, a sour ingredient, and a spirit. The whiskey sour, e- excellent example there. It's nothing more than whiskey, lemon juice, and and sugar or simple syrup. And my God, Rich, I don't know how people get by with selling whiskey sour mix or sour mix that you just put whiskey into because there's there's nothing to it, man. And I'm going to – I hate to say it. I don't think I've ever had a whiskey sour. I'm, I'm going to have to rectify that. You know, honestly, I, I've i probably had one. It's uh, – that flavor profile is not my typical go-to when I'm I, – I, as you know, and I've talked about this on the show before, I prefer a drink, especially with bourbon, that's going to pull out that buttery, creamy mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Um I don't. I don't know that a sour is going to do that for me. But man, maybe I'll, I'll tell you what. Next time I come down there, we'll have a cocktail night and we'll make three or four of these and just mess around with it. I think it's great. What do you think, Kai? You in for that? Um, yes, yeah, sign me up. Right on. <laughs> and so the 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 gimlet is gin or vodka with lime juice and sugar. The sidecar is cognac triple sec, which is basically an orange liqueur and uh, lemon juice. I, I mean. All of these sour type cocktails are, are real, real simple. But, you know, the the classic margarita is another excellent example of this. It's not that, you know, fluorescent green thing that's mm-hmm. swirling around in the swirly machine. And this is another drink that we got some mileage out of this summer. But the classic margarita is a real simple drink to make. You mean, yeah, when, abs- you oh, mean sorry, when I, I'm sorry, Kai, you mean when I go to, uh, was it Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville uh, <laughs> in Las Vegas and the shit's blowing out of a volcano? That's not a. That's not a margarita. Yeah, he's he's doing you dirty there. It's (laughs) it is not the same. And and I'm a huge tequila fan. Um, and the way I got into tequila was through baking, actually. Um, including tequila in in um icing and in cake. You're gonna taste the liquor, and you want to make sure it's not that that harsh Jose Cuervo um tequila taste that you that you cringe at from your 20s Hmm. um so i got really into finding good tequila and and i started sipping on it and um and really enjoying it and um making a fresh margarita with the right ingredients again it's it's an appreciation of the alcohol and not so much just you know slamming sugary mix so okay so that's clean ingredients we talked about that so what's next what's number three Man, I would say the next thing is have the right equipment. And this can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. But, uh, you know, from having the right cocktail shaker, and I'm a big fan of the classic Boston shaker, which is basically just a metal tumbler that uh, you can, uh, it's about the, it's a little bit bigger than a pint glass. So you can fit it over the top of a pint glass. And those two, I'm sure you've probably seen this if you've been to a bar, uh, you can use that to shake a cocktail. If a cocktail calls, for being shaken, you need some sort of shaker, um, the right ice trays and making the right ice. And you've even talked about the right water to use for ice or for coffee or, or to add to your bourbon or whatever. But uh, having the right equipment is important to include the right glassware, man. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of we don't have a cabinet full of glassware, but we do have the right glasses for the cocktails that we make on a regular basis and enjoy. And uh, that glass has something to do with how that drink is 
uh, how you how it hits your tongue, how it interacts with the ice and the other ingredients in there and all that stuff, man. And I, I would say get the right equipment, get what you need for your particular drink. And, you know, back to the old fashioned, I, man, that is my bar none favorite cocktail. If we're going to make a drink nine out of 10 times, it's going to be an old fashioned. And there's not a lot of equipment required, but the stuff that you need should be the right stuff. We, we buy the, or we have the ice trays that make the great big ice cubes you don't want a bunch of crushed ice in there that's going to melt and water down that old-fashioned because that's not a good drink with a bunch of water in it um uh, you want an actual old-fashioned glass you don't want to try to serve this thing in a pint glass or a i don't know god forbid a wine glass or whatever uh so just having the right stuff to make a drink i i think is important to making that drink correctly yeah i'm glad you mentioned those ice molds i i have a, a couple of different ones of those and Absolutely love them. I, th- I think that uh, I think that's important. So, so the right equipment. Uh, anything else on that, Kai? Right equipment. No, I mean I've definitely uh, I've definitely experienced, and here I think we've done a couple times where we've tried to make things work in terms of ice. You know, maybe the ice isn't ready, and we've we've used some smaller cubes, and it it definitely impacts the potency of the drink and it, and it takes a, a lot away from the flavors. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate a cold drink in general. Um, you know, I drink iced coffee. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a cold drink girl. So, um, I, I appreciate that those larger pieces of ice are going to keep your drink cold without compromising the, the taste of the drink. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of those ice trays. Sweet. So number four would be the right process. Tell us about that. Okay. So, um, I think back to refining your workflow, refining your ingredient list and your proportions and all that stuff, you need to kind of have a process in place. And we kind of have a technique down for an old fashioned. When we, when we make an old fashioned and we can both crank one out now, um, we take our glass, we put the bitters in, we put the bitters away, we throw in that shot of bourbon or that I think we're making, I think generally our old fashioned is two ounces of bourbon. We put that in, we put the bourbon away. Then we add three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup or maple syrup or whatever we're using to sweeten that thing. Uh, we drop the ice cube in and stir it. And then we add our our garnish, our orange peel and our uh, maraschino cherry. So having that, having that right process down is important. Being able to look at that ingredient or that recipe and follow it. Um, you should never shake a drink that calls to be stirred. That's going to impact the quality of that drink by bruising the liquor or whatever. Um Back to that mojito, uh, you talked about having those little tiny chunks of mint in your teeth. Man, that's one thing I hate about getting a mojito at a restaurant because they muddle that mint. They put that mint in the bottom of the glass and they just like chop it up basically with a spoon or crush it so it comes apart. Uh, I'm much more a fan of pulling those mint leaves individually off the stalk, uh, stacking them on top of each other, and then folding that stack in half and putting the flat edge of my knife blade on that and slamming it with my fist, it, it bruises those leaves. It lets that those oils out that give you the flavor in the drink, but it keeps those leaves whole and in one piece. And you you might not notice a little tiny chunk of mint leaf on the front of your tooth, but you're definitely going to notice a whole leaf, and it's probably not going to get in your mouth in the first place. Sweet, man. What else? Um, so uh, back to what you said, consistency, consistency, consistency. And I think this gets down to refining your process, refining your ingredients, you know, just like we said with the how to cook a meal episode, I would say pick a cocktail that you really, really love and learn to master the hell out of that thing, man. Learn to make it exactly the way you like to make it. Learn to make the best damn old fashioned or mojito or Manhattan or whatever your drink is and practice. What do you think, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think. <laughs> and I'm all about practicing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think absolutely. I've noticed a difference in my ability to create um, a decent cocktail, and that came from sort of um, sort of fine tuning that process, and that makes it um, my drink more consistent. And, and believe it or not, so um, I think I don't know. Did I give you your first old fashioned? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I gave Kai her first old fashioned, and for a while, whenever we'd have one, I would make it, and then you know, one night I'm busy doing something, we feel like having an old fashioned, so Kai makes it, and I kind of walk her through it. And there's definitely been an evolution in her process where those drinks have like now have arrived at the place where they're real, real solid, just as good as I can make it. But even though she's following the exact same steps that I'm following, like 
it, it does take some practice to kind of refine that and, and get it down so you can produce it consistently and get it exactly the way you want it. Yeah, I agree, man. Is there something that you would recommend people have at home if they wanted to start playing around with cocktails? Man, I would say go to acrossthepeak.com, go to the blog, and check out our old-fashioned recipe and work on that. Spend some time with that thing. Um, man, that is. there's no more classic cocktail than that. The, the Your classic low-boy rocks glass, your low-ball glass, your whiskey glass is actually technically known as an old-fashioned glass. I think if a cocktail has a glass named after it it's probably worthwhile to (laughs) learn how to make that cocktail um what do we have well we'll talk about what we have on our bar that we go to all the time uh what what do you have on your bar rich well uh, you know we've got some bitters we've got obviously bourbon of course we got a little bit of vodka um and and uh, that's about it i mean we got obviously wines but uh, i think we're gonna after this we're going to have to up our cocktail game because that's something that's been seriously lacking. As you know, I don't think the last couple of times you guys have been down, um, we've done much cocktail, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to fix that. Uh, yeah. Next time we get together, man, let's, let's have a night of cocktails and, and make two or three of these. And I don't know. I think that's a fun, uh, a fun thing to do. Heck yeah, man. So on our bar right now, um, well, we have our bar, and then we have our like spare liquor storage area. We've got our bar with our stuff out, and this is the stuff we lean on all the time. We've got a bottle of Bullet, and then we've got a couple of handles of Bullet, and we just keep refilling that bottle that sits on the bar. But uh, bourbon, first and, first and foremost for us, and that might be that might be different for you. But um, what else we got over there, Kai? Um, so as far as tequila goes, and, and I think this is important across the board. I, I think when we're looking at the, the, the liquors that we're keeping, like Justin said earlier, sometimes they sit out for a while cause we're not using them all the time. I think it's important to go with quality. Um, so I'm, I take it very seriously. I like the tequila and I like Espolone. Uh, it's a really good, smooth tequila. And I think when we're talking about these cocktails, again, you know, um, they're sort of the way that they're doing them, the way that we're building them, we're sort of highlighting the flavors of the alcohol, not masking them like you might be with a, a huge mixer. Um, so, you know, we definitely have a good tequila. We've got a good light rum. We've got a good dark rum. Um, we've got some Cointreau. What else? Anything else that I'm missing? I think that's I think that's basically what sits on our bar most of the time. And and you, like you've probably picked up from this, like our go-to drinks are kind of the daiquiri, the mojito, the margarita, maybe in the summertime. Uh, in the wintertime, old fashions all the way around pretty much. We, we should probably expand out and have a couple more drinks that we're comfortable making. And then, um, well, we always have the stuff for a mixed drink here. The Dark and Stormy is one of my absolute favorite mixed drinks. Are you a fan of that, Rich? No, I don't even think I've ever heard of it. So it's the official cocktail of Bermuda, and it's made with two ingredients. It's made with Gosling's Black Seal Rum and Barrett's ginger beer, and and I'm I draw like I'm not a purist on most of these cocktails. Like I talked about in the old fashioned article, you can make an old fashioned with good dark rum, and it has a completely different character. You can make an old fashioned with rye, and it has a completely different character than one made with bourbon. But uh, when it comes to the dark and stormy, man, I draw a hard line. It's got to be Gosling's Black Seal Rum, and it's got to be Barrett's ginger beer and some ice, and that is it. Hmm, sweet. And on the bullet thing, you know, you guys mentioned that you always have bullet on hand. And, and since it is the Marine Corps birthday that we're recording this, you know, um, Tom Bullet, who started it, uh, allegedly based it on his great, great, great grandfather, Augustine Bullet, who was the developer of the brand, I think back in the early 1800s. I met Tom. Uh, he's a former Marine. He came to our Marine Corps birthday celebration when I was stationed in Kentucky and gave everybody a, bo- a bottle of it uh, for the Marine Corps birthday and told us a little bit about it. This was probably in 2003, 2004. Uh, really good guy. Uh, he later sold the company to uh, somebody else. But anyway, yeah, interesting family story. And if you haven't tried Bullet Bourbon, I, I couldn't recommend it more. Yeah, it's uh, that's kind of our go-to. We've got a couple of other bottles of uh, probably m- more expensive bourbons. But that's that's just the go-to, man. It's a good solid bourbon. Speaking of that, what what's your do you have a favorite cocktail? Oh, dude, old fashioned, no question <laughs> about it, hands down. Um, an old fashioned that I have made, or that somebody that's really good at making cocktails has made. I have a hard time getting this at a at a restaurant or a bar because frequently they do everything wrong. 
they put little tiny crushed ice in there. They muddle up the fruit. At the, they'll instead of a little bit of orange peel, they'll put a whole slice of orange in there and a, and one of those glow in the dark red candy cherries, and they'll muddle that stuff up, and it just tastes like a county fair slushy, man. And uh, but but a good high quality one that really highlights the bourbon. Nothing better than that, in my opinion. What about you? Uh, the mint julep, man. You know, I'm I'm a southerner, and um, having been to the Kentucky Derby, you know, you're going to get one uh, while you're at the Kentucky Derby. If you don't, you're an idiot. But uh, and and I'll tell you too, man. If you haven't been to the Kentucky Derby, dude, that's one of those things that you you got to do at least once in your life. It was an it's a it's a hugely uh, it's it's a bigger deal than you would think. You know, let your wife or your girlfriend get the big fancy hat. Dig the suit out of the closet and get your ass down there. You're going to have a great time sipping on a mint julep uh, while the horses run. It's just a phenomenal experience. And that's that's NASCAR, right? <laughs> no. no, no, the Kentucky Derby, dude. What's wrong with you? Yeah, well, we'll we'll have to do that one of these days, man. Uh, Kai's been to the Preakness a few times. Uh, have you been to the Kentucky Derby? No, no. But my parents made a pilgrimage down there, and they went to. Uh, Rich, do you know what the name of the race is that happens the day before? They were a big fan of that one, too. Uh, was it the Oaks or the Running of the, the Roses or something like that? The Running of the Roses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they, they did a whole week down there, and, and they loved it, did, and my mom had a huge yeah. hat. Did, did you, so at Churchill Downs, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a, that's a phenomenal time. And we, we lived there for three years and we only went the last year we, we lived there and just had an incredible time and did some uh, gambling, which I'm, I'm not a gambler, but you know, betting on the ponies while you're there, I, I seemed like a pretty harmless thing. We, I think we took a hundred bucks and played with it. Good time. Well, nice, man. I honestly, I'm in agreement with you, man. That's one of those, uh, quintessential American experiences. And, uh, I, I put that on the list, man. Maybe prioritize that for, for this year. Um, Kai, what's your favorite cocktail? I uh, lean on the, well, I, obviously I enjoy your old fashioned quite a bit, um, but I also lean pretty heavily towards the um, limey cocktails. So the um, the daiquiri and um, I love a good fresh margarita. And you're a big uh, sidecar fan too. Yeah, I have an uncle and that is his drink of choice. And, um, and, and anytime I want to feel fancy when I'm out, I order a sidecar. Well, you rich. Yeah, uh, go ahead, buddy. No, go ahead, man. No, I was just going to say, I, I've never tried the sidecar either, so guess what I'm going to put on my list of things to do this week? <laughs> Add the sidecar. The sidecar, and man, while we're at it, I'm also a huge fan of the Manhattan, and this is this is not a drink that Kai and I uh, ever make at home, but I am a huge, huge fan of the Manhattan. Um, and there, there's a bunch of variations on the Manhattan, the Rob Roy, the Rusty Nail, the whatever, and these are all, like all served uh, without ice, shaken in a... Uh, in a martini glass, but they're all either scotch or rye or bourbon. And man, I, I love those drinks. And I'm glad we had this episode. You know, one of the things we really didn't talk about, but I think it, it goes without saying, but sometimes we need to say it, you know, drink responsibly, man. And the day of Lyft and Uber and all this other crap, I mean, uh, enjoy your cocktails, enjoy them responsibly, uh, do it at home, do it at a friend's house, somewhere where you can enjoy it and not have to worry about getting on the road and endangering others. Would y'all agree with that? Absolutely, brother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were we were just talking about that. Like I say, we're headed to that Pigros this afternoon, and, uh, you know, we're we're – talking about that first thing this morning like okay today we're gonna go and we're gonna plan to like keep an eye on each other and how much we're drinking and make a make a good decision about okay if we've had more than x number of beers we're gonna get an uber and you know we went out a few weeks ago and it was a decision of hey we're leaving the car there we're taking an uber tonight we're gonna have a good time so yeah plan that stuff ahead i can't emphasize that more man i don't have a ton of sympathy and I'm sure I'll piss somebody off here. I don't have a ton of sympathy for people that get DUIs, man, because it's the easiest thing in the world to avoid. It, all you got to do is not drive your car. Uh, but that often does require either planning that ahead and thinking about it before you get there and either controlling how much you drink or having some sort of other way to get home. But, yeah, man, I, I couldn't stress that enough because that is a thing that can just ruin your entire life. True. Mm-hmm. So if you, I, I, as we close up, man, if you have a question for Justin or I, send them to rich at acrossthepeak.com. 
Uh, if you got a question, want to hear an answer, maybe we'll read them on the show in an upcoming episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, also, man, thanks for listening to, to Across the Peak and check out the show notes, especially for today. If, like I said, also check out our Instagram, Kai. You're doing a phenomenal job with that, and she's going <laughs> to keep adding additional content all the time. So you want to stay tuned for that. Anything else, uh, Justin? Nope, I don't think so, man. All right, who wants to close us out? Oh, it looks like it's falling to me. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for joining us. Um, be safe, and if you can't be safe, be dangerous. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. Be dangerous.